this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast with me amit barua your host for this episode protests against draconian covid restrictions have rocked several chinese cities since the death of 10 persons in an apartment building fire in urumqi on the 24th of november These protests come a month after Communist Party strongman Xi Jinping took office for an unprecedented third term as the country's president. Embarrassing as it is for the Chinese leadership, the protests appear to reflect popular anger at the party's zero covid policy at a time when the rest of the world seems to have moved on from the pandemic. So what do these protests signal? Can we expect a massive crackdown on the protesters? Do the protests point to the failings of an increasingly centralized party leadership that doesn't listen to the people at large? To discuss these issues, I am joined from Beijing by the Hindus China correspondent Anand Krishnan. Welcome to the In Focus podcast, Anand. Thank you so much, Amit. So, Anand, what do you you've been reporting on these protests for the Hindu? I've been seeing your reports. So, what 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 do these protests suggest to you? What do they signal? Well, I mean, I think the first thing to note is that how unusual they are—the very fact that they are happening all across China, the fact that it, we haven't seen something like this in many years. Actually, I've covered lots of protests in China, which might be something unexpected for people to hear, uh, but those were often isolated, local-level ones. Whether it was a land grab being protested in a village. or whether it was people gathering for environmental protests uh which i covered a few years ago in kunming uh, when people were opposing the building of a chemical factory but what you haven't seen really since the student movement in 1989 is that a national level protest on the same issue that's bringing people together and i think that's something that's unprecedented and something that obviously the chinese government would be worried about just because you haven't had something like this before in so long i covered the protests that happened in beijing a couple of days ago on the evening of november 27th and covering it was quite extraordinary something that i really hadn't seen ever in beijing you had several hundred mostly young people come out the most of them have been uh, as you mentioned in the introduction opposing the intensifying lockdowns and restrictions because of the continuing zero covid policy it tells us that 3 years into the pandemic people here really have had enough but the other thing amit also is that what i found interesting was some of the demands have gone beyond that there were also people for instance chanting for democracy and freedom of speech so it's it's a very interesting the way it seems to be evolving anand you speak uh, mandarin so when you went to cover these protests in beijing i i'm sure you spoke to some people in the protests w- what were they telling you one common uh, thing that one heard was a lot of them were moved to come out after what you also mentioned in, in the introduction that last week uh, there was a fire in an apartment block in the city of urumqi in western china in xinjiang and you had at least 10 people including children who died in the fire Uh, and that really struck a nerve with a lot of people all around china uh, because you had videos in the aftermath of the fire that showed the fire trucks spraying water from outside the gates of the compound uh, and the water obviously was not reaching the building uh, and you could hear the anguished cries of people saying you know let the fire trucks in 
Uh, and for people, it really struck a nerve because over the last three years, there have been isolated incidents that keep happening because of lockdowns. There was a lady who made a speech at the Beijing protest where she listed various cases in a very emotional way. She mentioned a pregnant woman in Xi'an who suffered a miscarriage as she waited to enter a hospital and she couldn't enter uh, because of, of COVID-19 measures. She mentioned children who died at home during a lockdown in Lanzhou, again, because they couldn't get treatment. And she mentioned the Urumqi fire as well. So I think if the Urumqi fire was the trigger, I think it was it has been building up over time. Uh, it's important to note that through 2020, I would say people were broadly supportive of these measures because they were looking at what was happening at the rest of the world. Uh, China actually, by April 2020, after three months of the very strict lockdowns, emerged to complete normalcy. People were back in school, uh, unlike the rest of the world, by April and May and June 2020. Uh, people were traveling all over domestically, so it was a very different scenario. But what has changed, Amit, is that people have seen that the variants have become milder. People have seen that the world has opened up, except for China. And another interesting factor, Amit, usually these movements and protests takes a combination of factors happening at the same time. Something else I think that was unexpected was the Football World Cup happening right now, because literally the only thing people have been talking about in China, they love watching football. And millions of people have been tuning in and asking on social media, how is it that people from all around the world are there in Qatar watching without masks, except for Chinese people? So it's a combination of things, I think, that have led to, to this moment. Anand, uh, you know, uh, uh, give, uh, you know, our listeners, uh, you know, those who listen and follow the In Focus podcast, give us a sense of, uh, you know, what kind of COVID restrictions are in place in the country? I think the best way to sort of explain it is for me in Beijing, for example, uh, right now, Beijing is reporting about 4,000 cases a day. Uh, it's the highest Beijing has ever reported. Uh, China nationally uh, in the last week of November has been reporting about 40,000 cases a day, which is the highest since the pandemic began, which goes to show basically that uh, their zero COVID regime, uh, which I will briefly explain, is not able to deal with uh, the current BF7 variant, which is milder but extremely transmissible. What it means in Beijing uh, since I've been living, since I moved here in June is that everybody has a health code, uh, which is something that is built into the WeChat app, a mini app within the WeChat app. And you need a green health code pretty much uh, to go anywhere in the city you're living in. Every city has its own health code. Uh, so if you're traveling from Beijing to Shanghai, you need to apply for a Shanghai health code and you may be subject to quarantine even in domestic travel in China, so regulated. Uh, what you need in Beijing is pretty much a test every 72 hours. This can't be a self-test. It has to be a test at one of the booths that are set up everywhere across the city. And once the test result comes in, it's reflected on your green health code. And without that, you can't. children can't go to school. You can't get treatment at a hospital. You can't go on public transport. So it's a pretty much a, a system that uh, where a code, a health code determines every aspect of your life. Uh, and that's how they've been maintaining zero COVID for the last three years. But I think it's come to the point where people tolerated it. But uh, it's, it's, I think after three years of living under this, there's a huge yearning for normalcy also because, and this I think is very key, it has had a tremendous impact uh, economically 
on people's livelihoods and socially as well on people being isolated and suffering from anxiety about uncertainties and anand so uh, you know we we hear a lot about uh, you know the relative inefficacy of the chinese uh, anti covid vaccines and the fact that uh, you know a vast number of older people especially have not been vaccinated to the extent they should i mean isn't that a bit surprising given the fact that uh, you know china has uh, so much control over people and they have access and all these codes are there so is it that people are refusing to be vaccinated or is it that the state doesn't have vaccines or is it that the state can't reach the vaccines to the people what really is the problem as far as vaccination is concerned so the the vaccination issue is uh, is a quite complicated one and i think it's much more complex than i think the wide perception that chinese vaccines don't work i think if you first look at the data they are less effective than mrna vaccines but they are adenovirus vaccines using inactivated virus similar to what we've been using in india and they have a somewhat similar effectivity to the vaccines we've been using in india so the fact that they're less effective uh, which is often reported is in comparison to mrna vaccines but i think as the experience of india and many other countries have shown you don't need mrna vaccines to open up uh, the problem for china is that the chinese vaccines as we've seen in hong kong which is a great sort of place to study their effectiveness uh, that they did not work very well for older people uh, with two doses but they were quite as effective as mrna vaccines in preventing death and hospitalization which is the most important metric when three shots were given now i think the problem is i think the chinese government made several missteps in their vaccination campaign what we did in india was we on priority vaccinated the elderly and vulnerable citizens first and that allowed us to really open up soon uh, in china uh, unlike india and the west they never had the virus spread so there's no sort of herd immunity so they rely on vaccines to open up but one uh, sort of something that seems questionable in hindsight is they decided that they would first vaccinate the working population in the 18 to 59 age group uh, and that is what they did but uh, unfortunately the unfortunate consequence of that was it fed into perceptions of people here that the reason they were doing it is because the vaccine wasn't safe for older people uh, i think there is some data to suggest it could have side effects on people who ha- who are living who have pre-existing diseases which was why the chinese government was very cautious to vaccinate uh, senior citizens but by delaying it uh, for senior citizens they not only uh, have now created a problem with there's a sizable unvaccinated elderly population but they have to deal with overcoming doubts and as you questioned people aren't taking shots uh, that's the single biggest reason i think why they're not opening up is because if they opened up there would be deaths on a large scale of elderly citizens if you extrapolate the death scene in hong kong and in taiwan where you also have a similar elderly population if you extrapolate it to the size of china you're talking about a million deaths china's above 80 population that's 30 million people only 40% of them have completed three doses china's above 60 population that's 250 million people you've only had two thirds complete the three doses so Uh, it's a huge vulnerability uh, that they have right now as a consequence i think of the vaccine policy but also amit it's also there is also a political issue here we can talk about 
uh, because I think the Chinese government made it a political issue by saying for the last two, three years that their COVID response was the best in the world. Uh, and it's something that they tied closely to Xi Jinping himself. So for now, for them to come to opening up and live with the virus and suffer deaths, they've kind of, I think, pushed themselves into a narrative trap where it's difficult to back down from saying after two, three years that the response was so great and flawless uh, for them to move out of it. Because the fact is, I mean, there's no place on earth that came out of lockdowns without having a lot of casualties. And that's the big dilemma they're facing right now. Uh, but the big mystery to me, Amit, is why there's no talk of a urgent vaccination campaign since I've been here. Uh, in 2021, they tried. In 2022, the booster campaign has been very lackluster. And I don't see any effort on a big scale of people, you know, either persuading or even, uh, I mean, they're happy to coerce people to go to quarantine facilities. They're happy to coerce people to lock down, but they don't seem to be doing that for vaccines. And you don't hear the leadership talk that much about vaccines. Uh, which is something that I genuinely find mystifying. So, Arad, you know, moving on to the, you know, the political implications of these protests, as you rightly pointed out, uh, that uh, there are, uh, you know, various strands to the protest. Of course, it's against the restrictions and the lockdowns and, you know, what people face. But it's also about calling for democracy. And I also read that they are also calling for the resignation of the president. Isn't that quite unprecedented, given that, you know, just a month ago, Xi Jinping has, uh, you know, been elected president and taken over as general secretary for the third time, which is quite unprecedented in recent Chinese history. So what is there a message in this for the Chinese uh, Communist Party leadership and especially for the powerful Xi Jinping? As you said, Amit, rightly, I think there are different strands and layers to it, and it's difficult to gauge what are uh, the sort of priority issues. Uh, all we have are videos to go by, and there's lots of videos, which is interesting in of itself, of protests in many cities. I think they've taken on a political hue, especially on college campuses, where you've had uh, at least 50 college campuses of students coming out holding blank white sheets of paper, which was their way of criticizing censorship and expressing solidarity with the movement. And I think that it is in the big cities in Shanghai, where you heard uh, in a protest people criticizing the Communist Party and directly criticizing Xi Jinping. In other places, for example, the, the protests at the hub of iPhone manufacturing in Zhengzhou, as well as in the southern manufacturing hub of uh, Guangzhou, uh, I think it was more protests by migrant workers who are who are both worried about being confined and locked down in factories and neighborhoods and worried about livelihood. In my view, I think uh, the issue that will have widest resonance among everybody here I don't think it's the political issue or people wanting the Communist Party to leave because obviously you haven't seen those kind of protests pre-COVID. I think it is the issue of lockdowns and the harshness of the zero COVID policy, which I think is at the heart of these protests. And so uh, in that sense, if they were to announce uh, measures to ease the zero COVID policy, I think they would probably defuse the protests. In that sense, I don't uh, think that the protests have had, so far at least morphed into something that is going to go beyond people's frustrations over the current zero COVID measures. Anand, would you say that, you know, when we saw the last protests, you know, the massive protests in 1989, I mean, the China of 2022 is very different in terms of people's living standards from what it was in 89. 
But do you think, as you said, it's quite difficult to, you know, extrapolate or, you know, uh, you know, draw conclusions from these protests. And I think uh, what you're saying is absolutely correct. But would you say that these protests indicate that people want choice? They want to be able to take their own decisions about when they want, can come out of an apartment block or when they can go to a restaurant to eat or when they want to meet their a family member. Do you think that reflects uh, the protest in that sense that is about people's choices finally? I think it is about uh, people wanting the kind of freedoms, limited freedoms, obviously, in China that they enjoyed as part of the deal. I think that the Communist Party has offered to people, which, of course, which they enforce with a huge surveillance and security apparatus. But the reason why they've been uh, able to do so in the reform era is that the sort of uh, unsaid understanding was as long as people did not raise political demands or ask for democracy, uh, that they would see their livelihood, they would see every passing generation, they would see more prosperity, as well as less intrusiveness from the state. That was a general trend that you've seen from the Deng period to the Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao periods, where generally you had a retreat of the party from interfering in the lives of people, whether it was in terms of, uh, for example, in the Mao period, where your work unit determined everything in your life, uh, from your children's education to your job prospects. I think that the retreat of the party state was something that people have gotten accustomed to. And what you've really seen in, the, in these last three years of the pandemic is a return of that kind of intrusion in their lives, which probably was last seen for many young Chinese only when they're in their grandparents' time. Here you have your local party committees uh, are essentially charged with pandemic enforcement. And uh, I hear people telling me that it reminds them of the Mao period, where since then you haven't had local party committees literally being all powerful. They have the, they have the power to decide if you can leave your compound in a lockdown when you go to apply for a permit, if you need medical treatment, your local neighborhood committee will decide whether you can go. If you have a pressing work issue, your local neighborhood committee decides if you can go. Uh, and I think these are unheard of intrusions for most Chinese who've lived in the reform era. And I think it's very clear that nobody wants to go back to the way things were. Uh, and I think your question kind of rightly captured that. I think we should be cautious in terms of gauging how far this is going to go? Will it morph beyond uh, people's yearning to return to pre-COVID times into having a greater say in terms of questioning the Communist Party rule itself? I think it's too early to tell and we have to wait and see. Uh, but I also would not ignore the sentiment on college campuses, Amit. I think it would be a rude awakening for the Communist Party to see so many young people come out uh, and call very forcefully uh, for changes beyond COVID policy. I think college campuses played a leading role in 1989. Uh, college campuses, I think by coming out, I think young Chinese people have shown very, very clearly uh, in clearest unquestionable terms uh, that they want to have their voices heard. And I think ignoring those voices would be something that the Communist Party does uh, at its own peril. Uh, I think that it's something that they seriously will have to keep an eye on uh, in dealing with especially if things continue as they are into next year. Anand Krishnan, the Hindus China correspondent, thank you so much for giving us an insight into what's happening in China with the protests against the COVID restrictions. 
Thank you again for talking to the Hindus in Focus podcast. And I hope we'll return to you again for an update on what's going on there. Thank you so much, Amit. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.